And I'm Rachel Halk. And we are here, two romance authors, here to chat episode by episode about the Australian TV drama McLeod's Daughters, which combines a lot of family drama, romance and action on the setting of a farm in South Australia. And we are up to episode three, which is called Don't Mess With The Girls, which I thought was a kind of cool title. (laughs) I love that title. Now, this episode released in 2001 on August 22, and I'm going to jump over to IMDb here for the synopsis. All the women of Drover's Run have their eyes on the prizes when the rodeo comes to town. City girl Tess develops a new appreciation for some of the country's more masculine sights, while Claire is determined to win big and prove she's as good as any man, her father included, when it comes to managing a ranch. Meanwhile, Becky's reputation lands her in serious trouble and the two sisters forget their differences and come to the rescue. So that synopsis hints at some uh, interesting plot points, which we'll get into a little bit more later. But um, before we dive too deep into the uh, exact things that happen, what did you think overall of this episode, Rachel? Well, I like this episode. This one, actually, we talked about before we started recording that it deals with a pretty heavy subject. So they went through one and two, which we thought were a little bit slow, a little bit episodic, and then went to this kind of heavy topic that some women have faced in their life. And so we're glad that they addressed this topic. It's the topic of rape. But they had it kind of in this more lighthearted rodeo setting, Mm. um, which, which is an interesting backdrop. So, um, I liked this one a lot. This one certainly sucked me in more. It sucked me in more, but also did feel a little bit like, whoa, we're dealing with a heavy topic here. So I don't know the reasoning for that. I don't know if it was one of those, hey, we really need to hook everybody episodes. This is episode three. We want to make sure people stay with us. Um, but so they jumped in and they dived in pretty deep, but I thought that they did a really good job with this show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they definitely upped the drama in this episode. It was a bit of a shock after sort of the light fluffiness of the shearing storyline in episode two. Then we just like went full throttle on the drama, went to a dark place in episode three. But also it was sort of in the second half of the episode too. The first half of the episode is quite light and exciting. The radios come to town. Uh, we finally get some more time with Nick and Alex and there's a bit of excitement there. And then we kind of plunge into this storyline so um yeah the the tone was a little bit all over the place but it was definitely high drama and an interesting like look at the issue and yeah lots to talk about i think lots to talk about and even how they portrayed the girl who did ended up being raped how they portrayed that and kind of like what are we supposed to take from this as a viewer because because of who she was um Mm -hmm. And also, just to, as a reminder to the listener, Nick and Alex are brothers who work with their father on the neighboring ranch or the neighboring farm. Mm-hmm. So I don't believe that we met Nick very much at all, even in the first episode. Not much. So we see Alex. Briefly. We see super Alex. Super briefly. Yeah. We see Alex, and Alex has a little bit of a flirt, which is mm-hmm. what a guy said to me when I was in Australia once. I just want to have a little bit of a flirt. Has a little <laughs> bit of a flirt with Tess. And um, so now we get to see Nick, who seems to have affection for Claire. Yes. Is that right? I thought yes. these, 
this whole dynamic was super interesting to me. So basically the show opens with some shots of the rodeo, which by the way, I was excited to see an Aussie rodeo on TV because they're slightly different to American ones. Just, I don't know, the vibe's a bit different and it looked really accurate. I've been to a ton of rodeos. I grew up in the country on farms, daughter of a dairy farmer. There was not a lot to do in the towns I grew up in. So we were at the rodeo and yeah, it, it looked like, it looked accurate. It was good to see. And it opens pretty much with uh, Claire, Alex, and Tess. And um, and then we quickly jump into some more interaction with Nick as well. So it, there's like multiple triangles, but I wasn't – I was a little confused by some of the vibes. So I want to see what your thoughts are on this. I thought that what was happening <laughs> was Alex was flirting with Tess who wasn't really into the rodeo. She made a few comments. She was a bit concerned for the animals. Claire was not into Alex flirting with Tess. And uh, and then Nick just kind of walked past. And we mentioned last episode about some odd moments for slow-mo. I'm, I'm pretty sure my internet wasn't running, so I'm pretty sure there was some weird slow-mo as Nick and Tess saw each other for the first time. Yeah. She, she seems to have made an impact on Nick, who definitely took a lingering look as he slow-mo walked past. My mum <laughs> is walking past me right now, slow-mo walking. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go, mum. <laughs> and, uh, but Tess had a weird look on her face and I didn't understand what was happening there. She she didn't look impressed, but she took a second look and I didn't understand if she had been keen on Alex and didn't know why his brother was looking at her or I, d- I just didn't know what she was on about. But it wasn't the only time in an episode where Nick sort of seemed to be, I don't know, he seemed to be having a moment and Tess just, I don't know what she was doing. She just, it was, it confused me. But so I'm wondering what you thought of the whole, the, those yeah. four and their interactions. Yeah, I did uh, misquote. Nick was having a little bit of a flirt with Tess. And that's because, to me, Claire seems solely focused on her job at the rodeo, which she was going to ride this difficult horse named Sirocco. I think I said Mm -hmm. the name right. So she's going to ride Sirocco, and she does um, kind of um, calf roping. Mm -hmm. And so she... She, she was going to be the best, and, a, and this horse is supposed to be the best at this event. And so she's very focused on that. And then we have shots of her in competition, and then we have shots of Tess in the stands cheering her on. She's now gotten over any kind of thoughts of the, being bad for the animals, and, and she's <laughs> yeah. cheering her on. She's gotten into it. <laughs> she's gotten into it, and, and she's sitting with Nick. And there's these kind of exchanges and these looks between her and Nick. So... Uh, I can't even in my mind remember where Alex was, but he also had his own competition. So they're, they're cheering her on and, and Claire and Ch- Tess are cheering him on. But it seems that we're trying to have this kind of brooding, budding thing going on with Nick. Mm, we don't know what yeah. he's thinking, but he always had this kind of brooding, like I'm checking you out look to Tess. Yeah, so. and Tess just looked utterly confused, I think. <laughs> Or kind of like, I like it, but I'm not going to commit to this. Maybe, yeah. Maybe that was more the vibe. I'm going to blame my slow internet and some slightly pixelated footage for my um, unclearness about her facial expression. I also actually loved the interaction between Nick and Claire 
because those yes. two had a moment chatting by Claire's horse. Uh, they were talking about her plans to ride. Sirocco is her father's horse, and she and he's known as a really tough horse, and Claire doesn't seem to have bucket loads of experience on him, but she is absolutely determined to ride him in the camp draft and to win it. To She seems to feel like everybody thinks she can't run the farm and that if she can prove herself at the camp draft, they'll stop questioning her abilities on the farm, and she's really just actually kind of desperate to prove herself it's really getting to her that everyone doesn't believe in her the way she wants them to and nick is chatting to her about it sort of as they seem to have this real old friendship vibe and he's not judging or anything but he seems a bit concerned that she might be biting off too much or that she's taking what everyone thinks a bit too much to heart and then they make a little joke about um he said there's more than one way to run a ranch or run a farm or something like that and she's like oh what by marrying you and uh, and he's like oh well that was jack and harry's plan so their fathers had obviously conspired for most of their lives it seems to marry those two off together but they um just seem to have like a real comfortable genuine friendship that doesn't seem complicated at all by any romance i feel like claire's had a thing for alex probably all this time and nick knows it and so she's safe with nick because they can just have the old friendship and her heart's not really at risk there so i kind of really liked that interaction it was nice to see just a friendship between a man and a woman that didn't have to get complicated by other things sometimes oh i agree with that i thought he seemed kind of because he wasn't very prominent in some of the other in the first two episodes, he seemed to me like the guy who came back into town, and mm-hmm. they were just reconnecting. Um, there was kind of this thing on Claire's part where she feels like she has to prove herself, but so far she hasn't failed. She hasn't. She she's hasn't failed. Well. <laughs> she's done very well. She got the cattle to market. She got the sheep sheared a week early. Yeah. She fired the guys that were stealing from her. She dealt with the guy who was accused of murder and because he had jail time and there was all kinds of rumors about him. She grabs her gun and goes out in the middle of the night when she hears her, another gunshot out there and starts stalking in the night. So I, I'm kind of a little bit, if she's going to be threatened or, or people think she's going to fail, maybe she should fail a couple of times and see her get back on track. Yeah. Or is it just the impression that a woman can't run the ranch on her own? And so she feels the pressure of that reputation. Yeah. I can even imagine, like, even in 2020, if I – I I can tell you I don't know a single – single woman farmer running a place around. I know plenty of women who work alongside partners um, as, you know, as an equal partner, but I don't know any woman running a farm on her own. And 20 years ago, I can only imagine how much pressure would have been on her with that. So, um, yeah, that is, but yeah, it's true. She hasn't, she hasn't failed once. So yeah, it would be good to see her actually lose one and, and see what happens. I suppose there can always be success for women who are in traditionally male roles where there's the expectation of when is she going to fail? And I do think mm. that's kind of the impression that they give us on the show is, yeah, you've done well I'm so waiting. far, but when are you going to fail? When are yeah. you going to get tired? When's it going to be too much for you? They seem to think that she cannot possibly last on her own and they're just waiting for her to realize it. But on on the other side, no one's telling her, why don't you just uh, go on out and get married and be the sweet old little old lady? (laughs) You know, like, why don't you just get married and have have some children and let the husband do all the work? So they aren't presenting that kind of vibe on the show at all. Mm -hmm. No one's pressuring her to get married. It's more Mm -hmm. the pressure of this is a really rough career and we just don't think that you're going to go the distance. 
Yeah, pretty much. Um, something else I liked in this section was Nick and Alex's silent eye conversation that they had over Tess's head. Nick walks up, um, Tess is standing with Alex in the stands, and Alex, with a meaningful look, tries to wave his brother off and get some more alone time with Tess, and Nick sort of gives his brother a look and then's like, hey, I haven't met you yet, <laughs> to this pretty blonde yeah. girl standing with his brother. And it, I, I just love any silent conversations that people are able to have without saying anything and it cracked me up watching these two brothers sort of spar about this pretty girl that they both want to meet yeah that was a really good scene <laughs> so once we've seen a, a lot of radio shots and um and alex ride in the radio and come off the ball but he, he did pretty respectably we then go to the pub which uh, i have to say very much looks like pubs that i have seen uh growing up looks very much like the old blighty pub where i was um and we see that there is a young cowboy who has a crush on becky who also works um at the bar and uh we see people are there having dinner tess and nick have sort of a a bit of a kind of stiff awkward interaction um but end up eating their dinner at the same table and he kind of chatting about her plans for the farm um i'm not quite sure why tess seems to feel quite awkward around nick and i'm not really sure why but um she she certainly doesn't seem as flirty with him as she does with alex who she just sort of seems to quite naturally flirt with um but yes they have a bit of a chat about the farm and then harry tries to get information out of his son nick because he's hoping the girls want to sell and he's trying to pump nick for information and to get nick to to get information out of her but nick is resisting saying no we're just having a chat you know just being friendly go away dad basically (laughs) i would rather go on a date dad than get this information (laughs) yes (laughs) i want to be on the pretty blonde girl's side or i want to be on my old bald dad's side old man's (laughs) idea right (laughs) i want to say Um, too um just to the American listeners. Now I haven't been to Australia for 30 years, but when I was there and Jessica, you can let me know if this is still the part of the culture. Mm-hmm. When we were driving down from Sydney to Melbourne, I think that's how you guys say it. We say Melbourne. Here. Well done. And, uh, Melbourne. <laughs> Melbourne. Um, we would stop at these, there would be nothing on the road. I mean, it would just be like road and nothing. And then you would come into a really, 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 really small town. And there might be a, I guess a filling station or a gas station and a pub and yep. that's where you would eat. I mean, it wasn't like, Hey, let's all go in and get drunk and let's have a party. It was, this is where so a pub, a public house where we traditionally in America think of that's where you go like a bar. That's where you go to hang out and have drinks. It's also really a place where families go to have their meals because there wasn't a McDonald's or a waffle house or a Burger King or Chick-fil-A Along the roadside on this journey. And, of course, this is like 1988, like a bazillion years ago. And um, so that was very interesting. So very much probably this pub is the hangout of this small town on the show. where So there's families in there as well as these guys who were hanging out the bar who were well on their way to becoming drunk. And, and, and wanting to. And there's, so there's dancing and eating and drinking all in the same small space. Yes. There are, yeah. I mean, there there is a spectrum of pubs, I would say, but there are definitely the ones. And like where I grew up, I uh, grew up halfway between two towns. Our farm was between the two. They're an hour apart. And we were uh, somewhat near the middle. And the Blighty pub was halfway between the two towns. And it was like three houses, a grain shed, and this little pub where, yeah, there, there is a bar. But it's not where you went to 
go clubbing or anything like that. This <laughs> is a bar that old farmers would sit at and drink and talk, and uh, and you would have your dinners there and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, that's pretty accurate. This pub in the show seems to combine the family restaurant bit. And they do have a bit of a dance floor. Becky is definitely yes. flirting and kissing some of the guys. Those two things, I guess, sometimes may happen in the same pub, but it wouldn't be at the same time of night. Like, one would be the early evening, the other one would be that crowd has left, then the night crowd has come in to party. Um, but anyway, for the sake of the episode, it all happens at once. But it looked, it definitely looked like an old-school country pub, and those, those certainly do exist here still. I did... Uh, fact check one Aussie thing, well, not really fact check, but I spotted an Aussie reference. Some, I think someone made a bet or referenced a slab of Foster's beer and it is an ongoing gripe that Australia has with the world is that the universe thinks we drink Foster's when in fact 99% of the population hates that beer. It's just that I think there was a funny UK ad campaign about it which made it really popular in Britain and they think that Australia loves it, but um, most Australians will tell you that Foster's tastes disgusting. I don't like the taste of any beer, so I can't really comment. But uh, as a someone now living in Queensland, I can confidently tell you that Queenslanders are in love with Forex, and down south, I think they drink Victoria Bitter BB, but uh, pretty much no one. I think maybe if anyone drinks Foster's, it's South Australia, but it's probably not a big deal to the Americans, but the Australians would be like, what? That's disgusting. Don't drink that. <laughs> no, to anyone who's planning to travel to Australia, don't go anywhere and ask for a Foster's. Yes. <laughs> they will peg you right away as an uninformed American, so you are now yes. informed. Indeed. Consider yourselves informed. And Australia does have a shocking binge, binge drinking culture, so <laughs> maybe, maybe we should just have less of all of the above. But anywho. All of the above. There we go. <laughs> um, so we... Then go to so another person says Miss McLeod to to Claire who is currently grumpy at Tess for blabbing. I again thought that Miss McLeod was weird because Australians are not formal like that at all. But uh, the girl, the sisters are having a fight because Claire has realised that Tess told Nick about her plans for the cafe and and that you know which obviously raised the possibility that they may want to sell the farm. And Claire is quite angry that people in town may think that she's thinking of giving up. Um, and they make a, she makes a comment, something about Alex and Nick. Uh, and then she asks Tess something about which one do you want? And Tess's response is, does it matter? <laughs> and I just wrote, lol. Because <laughs> I really like that. That's <laughs> I like hilarious. Alex and Nick. So <laughs> it was a fair enough response. <laughs> and Claire is not impressed. <laughs> well, we now know that Jessica and Tess have the same taste. Yeah. In men. <laughs> um. I did like then seeing they sort of put a scene where Claire was quite harsh next to a scene where Claire is quite tender with her father's horse. She has one of her dad's old shirts and she's brushing the horse down with his shirt because the horse can still smell him on it and she's sort of soothing, I think, both the horse and herself with it, really. And she's Yeah, that was a really this. great scene. I really enjoyed that scene. It was really good, yeah. Um, and so she's now ready to compete in her camp drafting competition, which... I don't know, bucklers. I've heard people reference camp drafting my whole life going to rodeos, and I've never fully understood it. I have an uncle who does cutting, which is another horse event, which looks quite similar. I think basically you get on your horse, you pick a cow, and you got to like make that cow go somewhere, just that right. one, not the rest. So you got to like get it away from the other ones, right. keep it away, and then get it through the gate. Some that seems to be the gist of it. That looks like what Claire did. I couldn't tell you what the difference between cutting and camp drafting is, but that seems to be the gist of both of them. 
Um, and so Tess and uh, Alex are watching Claire's event. Claire does really well. Um, Tess has ice cream on her nose <laughs> and Alex kind of tries to tell her, but then like chickens out in that whole sort of like, do I tell someone they have spinach in their teeth sort of thing. Uh, we see Harry watching the competition and they've really just peaked him as the, uh, you know, the, the not great rich guy. He's really sort of got a bit of a villainous look there. And, um, and Nick comes up. Tess is very excited when Claire wins. She yells out, that's my sister, which is nice. I think that's the first time that they have called each other sisters and not half-sisters or anything like that. And I love that Nick walked up to where Tess and Alex are standing and he kind of looks at Tess, gives her a funny look because she's got ice cream on her nose, and then he just, like, grabs her nose and pulls the ice cream off it. And I was like, Nick's the man. He wasn't afraid to show her that she had ice cream on her face. Like, Alex, you chickened out, man. Nick that was won cute. that interaction. <laughs> it was very that cute. was cute. I like that. And I didn't catch what Alex yelled, but he yelled something out to sort of tease Claire when she won. And I thought that those two seemed to have quite a strong friendship as well. And I liked that um, that he wasn't so distracted by Tess. Um, he was very proud of Claire and how well she did. So that was very cool. We then go back to the pub. Um, oh, before we do that, was there anything you wanted to say about Claire's big camp drafting um, triumph? That was actually fun to watch as opposed to sheep shearing. It that was. was actually fun to watch. <laughs> it was really fun. Yeah, and we were, we were trying. I was watching with my husband. We were trying to figure out too, like what is she, what is she doing? So it was basically she was trying to get the the calf to go where she wanted it to go. It was very interesting to watch. It was it was in, it was interesting and exciting to watch the horse work, to watch her work, to watch what was happening with the calf. So and those were not overdrawn. They, mm-hmm. you know, it was just the right yes. amount of time. And I did like the ice cream on. Tess's nose, although I will give it a five on the corny factor, but it was still cute. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was a bit corny. This show does have a definite amount of cheese in it. You know, there's, it's got its cheesy moments, but uh, it was a cute one. Well, sometimes you just have to have some cheese. You do. You just need a little bit. Um, so then we go back to the pub and the whole gang is sort of there celebrating. Alex comes over and congratulates Claire. Uh, Becky is, uh, cutting a bit loose at the pub and really flirting with some guys. There's some line dancing. I wrote three question marks afterwards, line dancing. It exists. I've never seen people at a pub all line dance, but I also don't grow out to pubs a tremendous amount. So... I guess it's possible, but this was a section where I sort of thought people certainly do wear that American style cowboy clothing at radios and stuff, but I thought there was a lot of it and the line dancing as well as that. I was wondering how genuinely Australian that part was, but you know, I couldn't put my hand in my heart and say that it was, wasn't. That's interesting. That's interesting. That's it. That's really interesting. I don't think I've ever watched a show and thought, is that genuinely American? But line dancing is certainly big here. And I do remember thinking, they line dance in Australia? But I also I know Tamworth. Oh, keep going, sorry. No, I was going to say, also, I know that Tamworth is your Nashville. So yes, Tamworth is. is a little town north of Sydney. And it's, which I spent some time. Hello, Tamworth. Oh, and I'm two hours uh, away from there right now. Like, oh, are you really? really hmm. I, I liked it there. Um, but anyway, it's a country, they have country musical musical country music festivals there every year and so I thought well maybe they've import imported some line dancing so I wasn't sure but it did feel like oh they line dance in Australia that's kind of was my reaction 
I will admit that uh, the first school I went to when I was little was a, one of those tiny little country schools that just the, the local farmers' kids go to had like 30 of us in it. And I do remember in our morning assemblies, we would line up on the cement at the front of the school and we would line dance for exercise before we started school. And every anytime my, my adult city friends comment on my countryness, I'm like, you don't even know, man. I used to line dance for school exercise. <laughs> but um, so yeah, That's so a fun exercise. Was, yeah, it was fun. <laughs> was that five six seven eight song an achy breaky heart those are the two we used to dance to so oh, i'm so sorry i apologize for that <laughs> uh, it was fun so um so yeah they have a bit of a celebration becky closes up the pub and has a drink with her boss afterwards uh there has been an altercation in the pub one of the guys is harassing her uh someone that she seems used to have a bit of a relationship with he's now married she says no to him and he keeps on harassing her and her boss throws him out and has her back and so they sort of close up they have a drink afterwards Tess and Claire uh, have swag side by side. They're sleeping out under the stars near, near the horses in the campground with everyone else who's staying at the rodeo. And the girls have a bit of a chat about their dad and their mum. That was a pretty heartfelt moment, actually. What did you think about the revelations we sort of got about their parents there? No, I thought that was a good, um, that was a good moment. And it, it was a perfect place to have it. Of course, it was kind of cute because they're sharing a blanket and one yeah. of them is pulling the blanket off of another one. But it was a good place to introduce a little bit more of the emotional drive of the story. It was. And there was some details about their parents. I had written a note in episode one when Claire says how Jack died, that he had a heart attack. She kind of had a funny expression on her face when it happened. And I thought, is there more to the story of how Jack died? And Tess asks about that a little more here. And Claire gives a bit more detail. I still kind of wonder if there's even more to the story, but we learned that he'd gone out to check something on his horse, the horse that Claire is now riding. He'd gone out alone. Um, she thought nothing of it until late evening, but he'd had a heart attack out at the cabin. And when she went out looking for him, his horse had stayed with him. Oh, and that was the part of the episode where I like teared up. The horse stayed with him and never left him. And she gets emotional then and and gets quite sad about it. And uh, and it also reminded me there is an Australian legend. We, ha we have a statue at here of a dog it's called the dog on the tucker box and a, there's a story about a man who went every went out every day with his tucker box his lunchbox and his dog to work and one day he died and the dog sat on the tucker box next to him and never left him and they made a statue of it in his honor um mm. out at one of the country towns that's always so yeah. sad but yeah. so so moving at the same time it was and it's one of the few times you see claire get emotional um and she has been quite tough all this episode. So that was nice. And Tess, I also, it really increased Tess's likability for me because she was quite empathetic to Claire. And she talked about her mum and how her mum died of cancer, it seems, because she talked about how her mum lost her hair. And that was really the tipping point for her mum in her mental battle against the cancer. And Claire asks if she was there. And Tess says she was there for her mum every day. So we can see, even though Tess has been a bit of a city girl, she's not as tough as Claire, she hasn't shied away from the hard stuff life threw at her you know it would have been hard being there for her mum every day but she stuck it out so I think that we see a bit of similarity between the sisters there Tess may even be more emotionally brave where Claire is a bit emotionally sort of afraid actually to engage there and that might be an edge that Tess has over her sister I was just gonna say that I think Tess while the ranch life is new to her she definitely seems to be more emotionally strong and mm -hmm. sure of herself where Claire, tough as nails, I can shear more sheep than you, I can run, ride Sirocco in this cutting event, 
but uh, emotionally she's locked down. You just mm-hmm. so get the sense that she's emotionally locked down. And, mm-hmm. and I think probably that's why up to this point, the girls haven't had a super strong confrontation, which needed to happen or, and they have, haven't talked a lot about how they feel about things. So we're, we really haven't felt a lot or heard a lot about how Claire felt about Jack. So, mm. so the, the cabin, which is like a little sh- one room shack that's out somewhere on the ranch is where Jack would go, I guess, to have me time. Mm-hmm. Right. It was so, the original house built by their ancestors. It was, it was the original house, which was literally one room. And so, you know, what's he doing out there? And when later when we're in the house, for which a reason we'll get to here real quick, he, she's pulling down girly pictures, just bathing suits, nothing, nothing nude, nude off the wall. And so you're thinking this is Jack's private area and this is what they're trying to demonstrate to us. So um, I wonder what, what's going to be revealed out of this shack. I did not put those two together. I had assumed that that uh, that place we see later was a different workers' cottage, like that the Shearers had stayed in. But maybe that was Jack's cabin. Oh well, I made the assumption sure. it was Jack's Jack's cottage. So we'll have to mm. keep watching we'll have to, to, to find see. out. Yeah, we'll have to keep watching. So that takes us to the next big plot point. Uh, Tess continues to have insomnia. It seems <laughs> goes for another night walk when she wakes up in her swag and hears a girl crying and crying quite loud. She's obviously very upset. Well, that's actually what wakes her up. She hears this kind of. Woo-hoo-hoo. I mean, this is really true. loud yeah. cry. She's really wailing. <laughs> yeah, she's really um, wailing. And she goes and Tess night walks over to find out what's going on. Yes. And she finds Becky and Becky has just been raped, which um, we're now halfway through the episode. So this was kind of like a late, wow, yeah, a bit of an um, unexpected turn of events. And so she um, she stays with Becky. She tries to comfort her. She bring walks her over to the cop station um, and Becky isn't, um, isn't feeling ready at the moment to report this to the police. Trust Tess tries to talk her into it a little bit, but Becky ends up running away and Tess is sort of has already knocked on the policeman's door and is left standing on the doorstep, unable to really tell him anything other than it's happened. I thought the cop was a bit unhelpful. Like Tess couldn't say who it was. She didn't know who had done it and she didn't want to betray Becky's confidence by saying who the victim was. So I respected Tess for that. But the cop was kind of like, I know he couldn't do a lot of investigating, but it's just happened. He can walk around that campsite and check that people are all right. And, like, Tess leaves to walk back to her swag alone. He's like, oh, do you want me? And she's like, oh, no, it's fine. One, stupid of Tess. If there's literally, like, a rapist walking around right now and I'm walking alone back to my swag, I'm not saying no to the big, strong policeman who just offered to walk me back. But also he should have insisted. Come on, dude. Like, that was – I felt like he was a crappy cop. But anyway – that was uh, interesting. I have a lot of thoughts about this scene and, and Jess and I talked a little bit about it before we, we did the show. And that's um, one. I, f- I felt like it was really great that they addressed a rape scene and just kind of how women do respond. And it's not easy to walk into a hospital or a police station and go, Hey, this is what's happened to me. And we do need to support one another. If you know someone that this has happened to you, you know, do the best is what Tess was doing. Let's go report this so we can get this on the books and, and, and maybe find out who did it. At the same time, I thought it was interesting that they picked the flirty girl, the girl that kind of did put herself out there. And so, you know, she was the one, she's basically kissing all the boys at the bar no one ever deserves this, but I thought it was interesting that they 
take that girl. And if you're looking at it wrong, could you take it? Well, like if you are a big fat flirt, this could happen to you. And, you know, so we have to go to the end of the show to find out who actually perpetrated this crime. But I just thought it was interesting that they chose that character um, to, I don't know how you feel about that because, you know, you're 30 years younger than I am. And so you might have a different point of view of that. And then the police officer, I thought his reaction was pretty typical. So you have two girls come in and one of them runs away and the other one's trying to report it. But it sounds like it happened to her. And she just doesn't want to say. That's true. He thinks it's actually Tess. He thinks it's actually Tess. And then the way that she's acting, um, you know, I can understand why he didn't want to go with her. At the same time, that that raises the question of if we find out someone who's been through something like this and they don't want to report it, do we report it anyway so that the investigation can begin? So it it raised a lot of what I thought were theoretical questions um, for me. So. And um, how do you feel about that? a big deal. Yeah, there, there's certainly mandatory reporting laws in Australia. If you are a person involved in a church or a school organization, you must report right. anything. You must report it. Doesn't it doesn't matter right. if people have, um, if people want you to keep the secret. Yeah, you must report it. And thank goodness is all I can say because I have unfortunately um, known of things that have happened and mandatory reporting was important and needed to happen and um, to let the police do their work. So, um, yeah, that's a big thing. But if you're not one of those people, yeah, that's a, that's a bit of a dilemma. And the show kind of, I think, touches on all the different points of view. Some people, um, some people are really harsh on Becky and very judging. I was kind of surprised at how much screen time they gave to the judgy people. And then they certainly had other characters rising to her defense. Jodie strongly says and tests several times, it doesn't matter how Becky behaves or how much she flirts. That's exactly right. Happen. And everyone's like, oh, of course, of course. But still, blah, blah, blah. At the very least, she's lost the court of public opinion in terms of sympathy, which was – I was a little confused about what the show was trying to do. I was a bit confused if the show I agree. Was, was judging her or if the show was judging the judgy people or if the show was just showing it happening and not commenting – I wasn't really clear and I felt like there was like a writer's intention there that I wasn't quite picking up on um, and was a little confused by. I felt people were definitely really harsh on Becky and I was glad some of the girls were standing up for her but would have liked to have seen even, I don't know, I felt like I needed a bit more of a mic drop moment in Becky's defense. But then I I thought it was... mm -hmm. I I agree with you. I was going to say that's why I questioned like, did you pick this girl... Because you wanted to show that no matter how a young woman behaves, if she's um, reserved or outgoing or flirty or not flirty, it's still unacceptable behavior. Because, And I, maybe that's why they showed the judgy people that people do tend to judge more based on actions than what's actually right. And that no woman ever, ever deserves to be raped. No, no woman ever, ever, uh, no matter what she does. Mm-hmm deserves that or that that is never the oh she's acting this way so rape is the outcome that that is never right ever ever and it is good for us women to stand up for each other in that way and I think that women do but to report it to encourage them to report it and because we know that um, Jess and I were talking about this early shame and fear just come in and those are often irrational emotions and so Mm -hmm. Becky leaves because she's afraid and she's ashamed and so mm-hmm. Tess is trying to urge her forward, but she just can't go through with it. So I thought that that was, it's just interesting to break it down and see what were the producers and the writers trying to communicate through this scene 
and through it happening to Becky, who is more effervescent and outgoing as opposed to someone like Tess. Mm-hmm. And the sisters then um, sort of hash out this argument a bit between them as well. Tess is trying to get Claire to intervene and talk Becky into coming forward. Claire is very hesitant to get involved. Um, and she makes the point that Becky has to live here and um, and that she'll have to live with the consequences. I don't know if Claire is doubting whether or not... I, oh, yeah, actually, no. Claire is definitely doubting whether or not the accusation can be proven now. Um, it's now the next morning. And... Um, and Claire's pretty harsh. She's pretty judgy on Becky too. And um, and Claire also assumed that there were no witnesses. She's she basically puts the argument to test that Becky would have to. There were no witnesses. Becky would it would be Becky's word against the perpetrators. Becky has to live here too. The town will make its own judgments, and that will be hard for her to live with. So I get why she doesn't want to report it. But Claire has kind of made some big assumptions in jumping straight to that argument. Yes. I think. Seems I agree. like she's assumed it's a date rape or something like that when uh, we later find out that it was not even a situation like that. It was um, not that you can really get any worse than rape, but I, when I found out who it was, I was surprised at who it was and I was sort of felt the betrayal even more. I called it. I actually said, yeah, that's going to be that guy because, yep. because he was not obvious. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't one of the ones that she was flirting with. And I'm like, it's not going to be any of the ones she's flirting with because that's just too obvious. Mm-hmm. So, but I think they picked the the character that was the perpetrator is actually often the one that really is in real life. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I thought, you know, we often think, oh, well, she was flirting with, you know, John. And it's not John. It's, you know, the guy hiding over there in the corner that no yeah. one's looking at. Or the, the one that she, guy the trusted the guy, she really trusted this guy who um, was the perpetrator. So I thought that that was good. And I loved how at the end she does, jumping ahead a little bit here, she actually confronts him. So yeah, she did, that was really a great really scene where she confronted him. But let's talk about what Claire does Yes, to um, help out Becky. Yes. So to jump forward a little bit, um, well, before Claire does end up intervening, Tess does a little bit of amateur sleuthing on her own and questions Becky's boss if she left with anyone. And Becky's boss responds in a rather strange manner and says, you can't believe everything Becky says. And from that moment on, Tess is convinced that it's him. And at that point, I thought that was too obvious and I didn't think it was him. And Claire is very dismissive. She's like, I know his wife you know it's not him bloody bloody blah Tess accuses her of loving her horse more than Becky um and they talk a little bit about Claire's issues with thinking if she wins people will trust her then we see Becky come into work looking fine um I also noted that Tess had told what had happened she may not have reported Becky's name to the cop which would have been you know quite understandable and maybe even should have done but she has had no problem telling Meg Jody Claire and Meg's boyfriend who all now know um and the boss act continues to act weird ask Becky what she's doing there I actually wrote in my notes I don't think it's him and then the very next thing that happens is she's out the back doing her job. The boss comes out, hands her a pay and fires her on the spot and tells her no one will believe her. And then I realized that I was super wrong, had totally fallen for what the show was trying to do. Yep, and that yep. it was in fact her boss. And I, when it happened, I thought I did remember when they were shutting up shop and they had the, a drink together afterwards. I did remember seeing how much alcohol he tipped into her glass and thought for a brief second – 
you would have to really she must know that guy really well and have grown up with him and trust him because that's a lot of alcohol and if you didn't know him well I wouldn't sit there alone and drink with that guy and then when you found out it was him I remember that and I thought oh my gosh like intuition even in a tv show why did I not <laughs> listen to that yes. voice more there yes because um, it was him and and not only has he done this horrific thing to her, he's then fired her for it, and no one in town will believe her if she speaks up. And that was just gut wrenching, actually. To it is gut wrenching, and again, I think that was very realistic. To the producers, did a good job of showing that this is often what happens, that no one will believe them. And I think perhaps now that we're talking about it, this is why they picked that character because because no she one was. She was the more flirtatious one. She was the one who dated all the boys. She was the one who show, lifted up her top and showed her breasts to the boys in the first episode. So she was one more likely to be sexually promiscuous and sexually out there. And so they're trying to say, hey, even if this is who you are, rape is not okay. And you need to tell someone. And whether they believe you or not, you need to be honest. And so I felt like they did a good job of portraying portraying some true realities of how women may feel when this actually happens to them. So it was a little bit of a, perhaps even in 2001, a little bit of a social justice show. But so that's why it felt a little out of the blue for me at this stage of the game, episode three. But at the same time, uh, you really had a lot of compassion for, for Becky and you were really rooting for her and you really hated the guy who ended up doing it, you know, her boss. And I was like, Oh, it's going to be her boss. And sure enough, it was. And I, I wanted to punch him. Like, just mm-hmm. punch him. Somebody punch him. <laughs> yeah. That's, and that was something to jump to the end a little bit. Uh, the heartbreaking sort of reality part of this this episode, which I, like, it's sad to see justice not happen in, in fiction, but I appreciated the reality of it, is that he's not, at least in this episode, no one does punch him. He's not brought to justice. He has not lost one iota of his standing in the community. Um, Becky has been fired and he's untouched for the moment. But the rest of the episode really focused on how the women came together in the face of injustice and this terrible tragedy, injustice, I mean, and this tragedy, and they helped each other anyway. Um, so at this point, Claire walks past Becky and sees her looking upset now. Now that she's been fired, she's sort of dropped that facade she had that she was fine. And the guys who'd been harassing her earlier now catch up with her again, and now they start to really harass her, and they actually grab her and won't let her go. And Jody sees what's happening, yells at them to stop, and then runs for help and gets Claire. And Claire's about to go into the finals for her camp drafting, and instead she gallops away from the competition that she surely would have won and uses her horse to basically camp draft the men away from... <laughs> yeah, that was such, that was such a cool scene. That was such a cool scene. I'm like, stomp them. Stomp them with your horse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wanted the horse to like, kick them or something. But, um, yeah, kick them where it counts. Yeah, and, uh, and Tess also jumped on her horse as well and uh, she grabbed Becky up onto her horse and rode away with her while Claire kept the men in their place. And uh, so they took... Becky back to Drover's Run, um, gave her a little cottage to live in and a safe place. Which might be the dad's cottage, Jack's cottage. might be the dad's cottage or might be the Shears cottage. We're not sure which which building's which at the moment. It looked really Um, small, like one bed. I don't know how many Shearers could sleep in it, but yeah. Yeah, that's true. It didn't look very big. And there was Um, a bunkhouse where the other guys used to sleep. That's true, yes. Um, so yeah, so Claire is, is a little bit awkward. She's not very good at dealing with emotions and Becky is now quite obviously in an emotional state. So she kind of awkwardly sets Becky up, 
leaves her alone, says you can come down to the big house for dinner when you're ready. And uh, and Becky sort of sees a smashed mirror and picks up this shard of glass. And then when she shows up back at the house, she's cut off all her hair, which I thought was really sad and also showed how much, even though she tried to show everyone that she was fine, she was, she was really broken by what had happened. And this was just her sort of trying to show on the outside that something had been taken away from her and it wasn't going to come back and um and yeah she she was really struggling but and there was nothing that they could do about it too like you know becky ends the show and her hair does not magically reappear she does not have she gets a job with claire but she doesn't have a job back at the pub um which i love her getting the job with yeah she doesn't get justice but i loved her getting the job at the at the ranch because she says i'm not going to um live off of you so if i if I live here in this place and if I come to the house for dinner, I'm going to earn it, which I thought was really a great attitude for Becky to have and showed us really who she is and what she's made of. But I think it's a lot of times, unfortunately, a, learning a, a really hard lesson, a really hard way. And that's what we see with Becky. She learned, you know, it's, I don't have the tiger by the tail. And in fact, the tiger that I was grabbing was very vicious and so I would have loved to have seen Claire or Tess come up with some kind of like, I don't care if he, no one believes you, we're going to tell on him. At least they'll know. I would have loved to have seen something like that. And you're right. When, when she comes in, Becky comes in with her hair all shorn off, such a poignant moment. Cutting your, a woman cutting her hair after an event like that is very telling. Very telling. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in truth, I don't think Claire and Tess at the end of the episode actually even know that it is the boss. We know it's the boss because he fired her and we see that interaction between them. But at this point, Becky hasn't told Tess. She hasn't Claire. told him, right? I would Who love for her it? to yeah. tell. Yeah. Yeah. I so would love for her to tell. It gets more of a resolution in the future. But yeah, for the moment, all they can do is um, sort of try to support her the best that they can. And this is also the first step towards Claire's all women workforce that um, hopefully will right. be able to sustain Drover's run into the future. So, so now she um, does have a full woman's workforce. Yeah, she's uh, she's starting to build that now. And then the very last scene was a joke that was set up uh, earlier, um, which I thought was a weird comment at the time, and I thought, I know that they're going to pay this off at the end of the episode. And it, I was like, oh, I see it coming from a while away. It's not that funny, but then when I saw it, I did laugh. The, uh, the boyfriend, Meg's boyfriend, whose name I still don't remember, earlier said when they were speculating on whether or not Becky's story was true, said um, he he would walk into town bare-bummed before anyone in this town, if anyone in this town ever felt sorry for Becky because she was such a someone that just didn't seem to get the town's sympathy. And, uh, and the girls at the end of the episode are all feeling very sorry for Becky and Meg enforces <laughs> the She debt. enforces her. She won the bet. <laughs> so she is enforcing the bet. Yeah. And he uh, has to do a walk of shame, naked, just with his gumboots and I think a shovel or something. I don't <laughs> um, think he even has the, the shovel. Uh-uh. Oh, he didn't have the shovel, just the gumboots and the hat. And she follows him in the ute with the headlights on so that anyone driving – and Nick is driving home and kind of sees him and is like, what the heck was that? Yeah, um, yeah, that was Meg really makes fun. makes him walk all the way into town. And I did laugh when they finally sort of drew out pull the camera back and <laughs> you see him having a walk was still funny. The other yeah, thing is I need good. to look up the name of the actor who uh, acts that character because I, I'm i pretty sure he's the guy who is out of the movie Wolf Creek, which is a famous Australian horror movie, which I've never watched. But again, I had a housemate watching it a while ago and it was 
horrifically terrifying in the parts that I happened to walk past the land room. I actually had to walk out and ask her to turn it off because I couldn't work. I was trying to work in my office and I couldn't work to the sounds of humans screaming their faces off and being tortured. But it's oh a very goodness. famous Australian horror movie based on um, – Australia does not have many serial killers, but we did have one famous one, Ivan Malat, the backpacker killer, and it, Wolf Creek is a fictional version of that tale. And I'm pretty sure that actor – played the guy out of Wolf Creek and so now it's super weird to see him being this like funny jolly boyfriend jolly poly, jolly poly guy really oh my gosh yeah. Yeah. I'm like don't trust him <laughs> but uh yeah that's hilarious Check I that. do not do horror at all I don't do I was horror. watching Strange I was watching a 50s black and white and it gave me the willies so <laughs> Apparently, when that movie came out, he went to the cinemas to watch it himself, and a woman got scared watching it, and so she turned to hide her face and then saw him in real life sitting behind her in the cinema. Oh, no. That would be crazy. (laughs) That would be terrifying. She jumped up and ran out. Talk about, like, movie life imitating film or film imitating life. Like, there it is right in front of you. That's hilarious. That is funny. So that brings us to the end of episode three. So thanks for joining us, everybody. If you want to continue the conversation, catch up with us on our social media at McLeod's Pod on both uh, Instagram and Facebook. Rachel is at rachelhack.com and Rachel Hack on all her social media. Uh, I'm at Jessica Kate Writing, the same at all the same places. Um, and Rachel has some great romance books to highlight. What are some books you want to chat about, Rachel? Oh, well, let's talk about the wedding collection with the wedding dress, the wedding shop, and the wedding chapel. And I said those backwards. The wedding dress, the wedding chapel, the wedding shop. Standalones, <laughs> but they are a collection. And then I have the Royal Wedding Series, where one, the first one, Once Upon a Prince, was made into a Hallmark movie. And my new release, probably, hopefully, by the time you guys listen to this, Will it be the Fifth Avenue Story Society? So, and Jessica, mm-hmm. tell us about your stories because one really applies to this podcast that we're talking about. One really does. In the theme of McLeod's Daughters, uh, my new novel, A Girl's Guide to the Outback, will be released by the time you hear this. And uh, it is a bi-continental romance. Uh, so we have an American heroine and an Aussie hero. And uh, most of the story is about they, they are former colleagues who did not get along. They uh, really don't like each other. But um, when he's faced with losing his family's farm, he's trying. He's working with his sister, who's the farmer, to try and save it. And Kimberly is faced losing the youth ministry that she and Sam built together. They strike a deal to help each other out, and she comes to help them try to save the farm. And uh, is a fish out of water in this Aussie outback, but she has some business skills that Sam really needs. And so, people who hate each other happen to work together. That is just my jam. So, <laughs> that is a good conflict. Yep, and I've got I've got a fun neighbor boy in the spirit of Nick and Alex. Uh, Mick Carrigan is my neighbor boy in A Girl's Guide to the Outback, the uh, childhood sweetheart of Jules Payton, who is the sister who's been running the Aussie dairy farm this whole time. So they have a very fun subplot in it too, which I had a lot of fun writing. Very good. Be sure to pick that up, guys. You don't want to miss it. She's a That's great writer. It. Um, so that is all from us for episode 3 we will see you all next time ta-ta hey guys just wanted to say a quick thank you to composer Bobby Abbott for our theme song if you want to check out more about him then you can go to Bobby Abbott Music on Facebook and that's Abbott with two B's and two T's see you all next time (laughs) 